All right, now to the top of the board is Darla, Linda, and Carolyn, and Darla's first. Good morning, Darla. Hey, good morning, and happy Easter to you. And to you and your family as well. Thank you. Say, you've been talking about chiggers. I'm blessed to live in the country, but I'm plagued with chiggers. Yep. And you've been talking about using cedar oil. Right. I have a question. Uh, If I'm lucky enough to be able to find concentrated cedar oil, what would the mixture be? For a hose end, I have a dialing spray sprayer. Uh-huh. I, I, would use, uh, I would use about a, a, a somewhere between a tablespoon and an ounce per gallon, depending on the strength of your cedar oil. It's, uh, I know cedar side is one of the more common liquids. Uh, Medina was talking about making a cedar oil product. I haven't seen it on the market yet. But uh, if it is very diluted, I'd be using an ounce per gallon. If it's stronger, I'd be using about a tablespoon per gallon. And I recommend this based largely have a uh, had a friend. He passed away a few years ago, but uh, he managed all the little league baseball fields up in the Bandera area, and he put it out about two to three times per year and said the kids play in the outfield, they no longer had any chigger issues at all. And uh, like I say, he was just doing it a couple of times a year and getting very, very good control on the chiggers. Yeah. Well, does it actually kill them, or does it just run them off? Oh, chiggers are a mite which are very delicate, very short-lived. I think it does both. But uh, a chigger has a life of just a few days at the longest, so... uh, um, either way, it, it gets rid of them. Well, boy, they get me every time they're alive. I Like I said, I grew up filling my socks every time we went to my grandfather's farm because take about one time of forgetting to do that, and you'll never forget again. Yeah. Well, I even use a, an organic repellent, and they still get me. I'm eating up with them right now. Well. I was out yesterday, and okay, so, uh, and, and two or three times a year, and do you actually drench the grass weeds, no you just you're it's just a foliar application and uh, yeah and one thing about it uh be sure you have a comfrey plant growing somewhere in your garden uh that's the best anti-itch thing i've ever found for chiggers you crush yeah. up a stem or leaf and rub it on and uh it helps it i won't tell you it makes it a hundred percent go away but it uh, goes from being uh, absolutely miserable to just somewhat uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I haven't tried comfrey in a while. I, uh, we went through so many uh, summers of really hot, dry right. weather, and I just keep losing them every time I plant one. So I'll have to try that again. That's one of the few All nice right. things about hot, dry weather is the chiggers tend to go away, too, when it gets hot and dry. But uh, yeah. you give the cedar oil a try and let me know how it works for you. I sure will. All right. Thank you. You have a great day. You too, too, Darla. Thank you. Linda's next. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, sir. Uh, I have a, a fertilizer question. If I use weed and feed on my lawn, will that affect my trees? Yes. Weed and feed is a horrible product. It should be off the market. It'll give you dogs cancer and it'll kill your trees over time. Okay, well, I'll take the product back. <laughs> I would sure do that. And the research is out there, and Dr. Kirby can certainly speak to that a little bit later in the show. But uh, the herbicides, I mean, there are over 10,000 pending lawsuits 
uh, against chemical companies now involving herbicides. And uh, a a weed and feed product sees everything except grass as a big weed. It might take a number of years to kill your trees, but it'll kill your tomato plants tomorrow, and it will weaken everything. It's my anecdotal observation that it also makes trees more susceptible to diseases like oak wilt because uh, most of the ranchers, farmers in my area that have severe oak wilt problems are the ones that get out and spray weed killers underneath their trees, and first thing you know, they seem to have oak wilt. And like I say, that's just an anecdotal observation, but it's been one that I've observed many times. So I hope you'll stay away from the weed and feeds. Yes, sir. And so what would be a good fertilizer then for my yard? like a 29-0 something? No. Um, when you're using a fertilizer with a very high number, uh, those are synthetically derived nitrogen products, and they are so soluble and so transient that your plants are lucky if they get 10% of the nitrogen. So let's say you had a 29% nitrogen product, uh, your plants are actually going to get about 2.9% nitrogen. If you use a good organic fertilizer, be it Maestro, Nature's Creation, Medina, even though the numbers are much smaller, they might have 4% nitrogen in them. Because of the chemical state, cation versus anion, because of the chemical state of the nitrogen, your plant gets about 100% of the nitrogen. So I don't pay any attention to the numbers on the bags because a plant actually gets more nitrogen from a 4% uh product which has your nitrogen properly derived than they do from a 30 percent product that is uh, basically a a highly soluble uh, chemical product and that other uh, 90 percent causes uh, some severe pollution problems uh, around the world so uh, uh, look for names like Medina or Nature's Creation or Maestro Grow or Espoma those are all real good fertilizer brands and even though the numbers may be lower your plants will actually get more benefit from the fertilizer and, and what about the I'm sorry your phone's kind of breaking up does that impact the weed um, the weeds do not seem to benefit as much from the fertilizer. Weeds are the weakest plants out there, and in most cases, all you need to control them is your lawnmower and a chance for your uh, turf grasses to choke them out naturally. Everywhere I've used uh, organic fertilizers, especially where I can follow it up with a little bit of compost, uh, I'll have some weeds early in the spring, but by late spring and summer, I've got uh, a virtually weed-free yard that's uh, very low maintenance and very problem-free. All right. And what is the name of your nursery? Uh, our nursery is called Shades of Green. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines, and Carolyn is first. Good morning, Carolyn. Morning. Good morning. Yes, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I'm about to uh, plant my peppers and eggplant, and I wondered if they can be planted at the same uh, depth as a tomato, or do I have to plant them at at the same uh, depth that they're in the pot? No, you you should plant them more shallow. 
Uh, tomato is one of the few plants in the world that will actually sprout roots up and down the stem. So eggplant mm-hmm. and peppers should both be planted much higher. I was planting eggplant this or planting peppers this week myself, and and come this coming week I'll be planting eggplant. So I'm doing exactly what uh, you know what we're talking about. But no, you should not plant those deeper. Cabbage in the fall you can plant deeper just to hold it upright uh, because okay. it doesn't seem to have as many issues, but it does not form roots i really can't think of anything other tomato than tomato plants that really do root well up and down the stem so uh you don't have to dig quite such a dig hole with uh, such a deep hole with those peppers and eggplants well well that's how i usually plant them uh shallower but talking to some people i know they said oh no you can plant them deeper and i thought i'm not going to make that mistake (laughs) so i'll call bob and see what he has well it depends on whether Mm -hmm. yeah you don't want to just have an ordinary garden you want to have a really really good garden and i'll bet you you'll outdo them every time when you plant them uh plant them shallow do it right yeah okay and then another uh question i have uh fuyu persimmon that i've had about this is the fifth year the first two years it, they were great. Mm-hmm. The second, third year, uh, I noticed they made a lot of flowers. They had a lot of white flies and that I treated for white flies, but all the buds fell off. And then I looked and saw that on, on the slope that I'm on, the soil had washed up and I had no root flare. Right. So I exposed the root flare, but it was too late for persimmons that year. So then the next year, I had my roots all exposed and everything, and then I got twig girdlers. <laughs> Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was a disaster. I'm, I didn't even know what they were till I googled it and, and found out what I had. Yep. So I trimmed them back, and last year I had a. Uh, the, it leafed out nicely. This year, uh, I heard you mention something about maybe it's too cold to, um, to uh, the buds might have frozen. Right. But I went out yesterday, and I have buds all over the tree. So, Good. Uh, okay, but the leaves are kind of. Uh, like green so is it a good time to um fertilize them now absolutely no absolutely uh when you're using a slow released organic product you can do it 365 Mm -hmm. days a year would have been better to do it six weeks ago before the leaves started but the second best time is today so do fertilize you know as soon as you can let's back up to the twig girdlers for just a minute um as you may have learned Two things about twig girdlers, dispose of the twigs, yes. burn them or get yes. rid of them. And uh, mm-hmm. secondly is uh, using beneficial nematodes periodically will stop that because the life cycle is such that the twig girdler lays its egg in the bark in the end of the branch, then cuts the branch off. It falls to the ground, egg hatches, larvae moves into the soil. Over time, the cycle repeats itself. By getting rid of the twigs, you have removed the eggs, and by occasionally using beneficial nematodes, you've taken care of any larvae that are already in the soil. So I wish all the problems were as easy to solve as that one is. Oh, okay. Well, I did put some hands to grow on yesterday because yeah. I thought I, I need to, but I and I threw some Medina granular around it. So, so I'm safe putting quite a bit of fertilizer. Around you can it. certainly do that. And if the uh, if it is really yellowed, I'd think about adding some magic sand or some green sand as well. Yeah, the, it's not real yellow. Yeah, yeah, the Medina granular already has some added to it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. And remember that warm weather is going to help. Uh, Chlorophyll is slow 
to move from what we call prochlorophyll A to form the actual chlorophyll molecule. Uh, as it warms up a little bit, a lot of that yellowing is going to go away naturally. But uh, mm-hmm. with organics, it's almost impossible to over-fertilize. So give them a real smorgasbord to choose from. Okay, and then a quick one. Uh, my potatoes are flowering at the top. Is uh-huh. that normal? That, oh, okay, I just didn't remember it happening. Yeah, uh, it's it. If I pinch the flowers off because I feel like it keeps them growing longer, uh, but it is mm-hmm. certainly typical. We're late April, moving into May. Are you uh, harvesting little uh, new potatoes from the base of the plants? Are you oh, gonna? Oh no, I'm, I haven't even started that. We've just had everything is so slow. I'm in Fort Worth, <laughs> and everything is really slow this year. I mean, yep. the, the uh, persimmon just leaked out this week. Yep. I mean, it's that slow, and usually I've got uh, flowers on it, you know, earlier, much well, earlier, but everything is slow. Yeah, everything is I, if slow. If you have time, pinch the flowers on your potatoes, and I think you'll okay. wind up with more tubers. All right. Thank you very much. And Thank happy you. Easter to you. Thank you. And uh, let's go not quite that far north, but up Austin Way. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine, sir, and you sound like you don't have as much oak allergy as you did last time we talked. Much better now. Thank you. Um, I am um, I have sent you uh, a picture by text. And it took me a little while to open it, but I got it open in the last break, and I presume you probably want to talk about a bat house. It was probably uh, a pretty big file. I'm sorry, I, I hadn't quite figured out how to... Smaller <laughs> right. pictures. I apologize for that, but for the listeners, it's not a straight trunk. It right. uh, goes up about four feet, and then it takes about a forty-five degree turn. It goes up for eight or ten feet, and then up straight again. So, my question before I get an arborist out here, uh, needlessly—that is, if you tell me it would be needless—should I be thinking about putting some sort of a support under that? Uh, second bend just to uh, i mean that's our that's a feature of our backyard yeah. you know me and live oaks i, I it just break my heart to lose it but um I, i'm and, and of course i don't know what you can tell the photo but i've got the uh, trunk flare right well exposed right and and when i was doing that you may remember i asked you about cutting off the little uh, tiny uh roots that Mm-hmm. on the surface, on the opposite side from the right. way the tree grows. So anyway, in short, is that something that the tree might benefit from to help it resist a strong wind from from the other side? I don't think it'll make that much difference. Um, okay. You know, if I were going to do anything, it's really hard to support a limb like that. Um, if you do have an arborist take a look at it, uh, you could consider uh, taking a little bit of the weight off out, you know, further out on the limb. Um, and that, of course, would put less stress on it. But live oaks are amazingly, you know, they have a lot of tensile strength, so to speak. And uh, uh, you've watched them in a storm. They literally just thrash around. And um, that's why it's so hard to actually physically support them. I can't really tell if, you know, if it really needs to have a little bit of the weight taken off of it, but that's the, if that, that is the only thing I would do. And I'm not at all certain that that's really necessary. Well, in fact, um, 
uh, I have already taken a lot of the weight off of that side at your suggestion. Mm-hmm. When I spoke to you earlier about the uncurving the trunk flare. We talked about that. Right. And we took a very, very large limb off and lightened um, uh, the, if you would, the weight of sure. the foliage on a couple of the others. And it, it, the tree seems to be absolutely thriving. Well, I don't want... Let me move on to the second question. Okay, let me tell you just one more thing, Robert. If, yeah. and again, it would have to be at the recommendation of a good arborist, not just a guy fresh out of school. Um, but if there is concern about the only other thing that would possibly benefit the tree would be to cable it would be they would go in and they would literally use a braided wire cable plastic coated i see this done periodically and i it you know it might give the chance or might give the tree a 15 percent better chance of surviving a super high storm but it's going to be pretty low priority on my list well um if you look at that photo again, you will see to the right of the tree, there's nothing to attach a cable to. Okay. And it's and it's the trunk of the tree, the mm-hmm. first uh, 10 feet off the ground, sure. 8 feet off the ground, that's causing the unbalance. Yeah. And I, and I just thought that maybe some sort of, um, you know, engineered support for the trunk <laughs> uh, right there where it makes that, that's where it turns up straight sure. again. Sure, sure. But yes, but yes. By the way, we did have uh, an eastern screech owl for several days, and we the behavior was such that we thought she was sitting on the eggs, but she's disappeared. So, uh, uh, and we're very sad about that. But let me ask you real quick: you were talking about um, fertilizer or compost earlier, and uh, I wondered. I've heard you say many times that it's uh, pickle around this pretty ubiquitous in both uh, cow and horse manure. Right, right. Are, are, are the bagged manures any better from the standpoint of the pickleram issue? The better companies pick, test uh, the manure for pickleram before they process it. I won't say everybody does, and uh, if I were you know, going to be using a lot of it, I probably would do some of my own testing on it just by soaking in water and then finding a broadleaf weed to pour it over. But um, your your better companies, your nature's creation, some of those, they're going to pick Laram, test their manures before they put them into any of the compost products. But um, it's, uh, it is certainly less likely that you would ever have a problem with one of those products. I'm not going to say it's impossible uh, because that, you know, until people figured out what was wrong, there were some some big names that were sending out product that had the Pickleram in it. But today, I think your better companies are well aware of the potential problem and are really doing a pretty good job of testing before they put it into their product. And is the bag mature, uh, well, would the fresh manure, which is by in bulk, mm-hmm be superior as a fertilizing agent to the to the bag mature uh, bag, bag mature i use black cow sure and, uh, and it's it's mature it has no smell it makes me wonder if it's got anything well it has very little nutrient quality it has microbial life and it has bulk added to it but um as far as see the thing about a 
cow versus a horse or versus a chicken, a cow is a very efficient processor of grass. And uh, it's why a horse has to eat three times as much as a cow to survive because the material passes so much more rapidly through its digestive system. This is why you can have weed seeds in horse manure and you'll never have it in cow manure because it takes from the time the grass goes into the mouth of the cow it's it's a substantially longer period of time before it exits the opposite end. I guess that's about as nice a way to say it as I possibly can. And the cow has processed it so much more efficiently to the cow's benefit that there is, by nature, less active ingredient in the manure, so to speak. It's still high in good quality organic material, but uh, most of the real nutrient has been processed out of it by the cow's uh, unique digestive tract. Although stomach, huh? Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. And um, I, I managed to get up and down uh, Mopac, uh, Loop 1, uh, south of the lake several times a week. And uh-huh. As you know, those are broad-shouldered and a great big wide grassy median. And, of course, this time of year, it's just an absolute delight with all the flowers. Right. And we have mostly blue bonnets and what I glibly call Indian paintbrush. I'm not sure what, and, and I'm, I'll get to that in just a second. But I had occasion to get off Mopac today, and I was sitting at a stoplight looking up close at these flowers. And if it's the same one that I've been seeing out on the highway itself, they're not just orange. They're kind of red and white. Oh, uh, mixed. and there are yellow. I walking around my ranch, I have very few paintbrush, but I see as many as four different colors of paintbrush. There's some thought that they have to form a symbiotic relationship with the native grass. I don't know if that is indeed true, but uh, uh, your Indian paintbrush does have several um, several varieties uh, as far as color goes. The seed is very, very tiny. Uh, the owner of Wild Seed Farm told me one time that the entire world's crop of paintbrush seed is about eight pounds a year that is actually harvested, oh. and it is such a tiny, fine seed that um, you know it's it's not practical to harvest and plant on your own. But there are some color variants. But to the best of my knowledge, because of the tiny nature of the seed, nobody has ever perfected a strain of it that's going to be any color than that typical Texas salmon color that's most of the Indian paintbrush you see. Well, now, just uh, in case I wasn't clear, this is uh, red and white flowers on a single plant. Mm-hmm. Would, would that be Indian paintbrush? Mm, that's hard to say. It, it, it seemed a little higher to me. It seemed more like 18 inches high or 15, 18 inches high, and that's not I, what I think of. As I've, so I've, not observed, like I've not observed that, so I, I can't really say. It doesn't really sound like it, but um, without a picture, well, it would be real hard to tell. Should have whipped my camera out. Last quick <laughs> you should be very was, safe when you're out on that road in Austin traffic. So uh, I, I was sitting at a stoplight. So okay, that ready. that's acceptable then. <laughs> I haven't lived to be my age by being crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, avocado trees. Uh, I, I've been reading about them. I understand it's type A and type B, and I guess they're self-pollinating in between. Uh, Mexican avocados, uh, real quick question. I think you said y'all don't carry them. Is that right? No, we do carry them, but you're pushing the limits of their northern boundary. 
um, uh, to grow them in Austin until you build Susie a greenhouse that she can drag that tree into in the winter, I don't think it'd be a good investment. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you for the guidance. <laughs> Levon has just established his rightful place in my lap in Susie's absence. So well, you give Levon a big pet for me and give Susie a big hug for me, and y'all have a happy Easter. Same to you, Bob. Thank, Thank you, Robert. You much. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Back to gardening. It'll be Sherry, Alan, Anna, and John. And Sherry's up first. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How about you this morning? Good. Good. I'm good, except my roses are having an issue. <laughs> okay, what sort of an issue? I went out this morning to look at them because they're getting ready to bud everywhere, and there's little iridescent beetles mm-hmm. inside the roses. And Eating I don't the buds. Know what they are. Yes, and I need to get rid of them. <laughs> well, I think that you will find, do um, you have a lot of roses? Do you have a few roses? I only have three bushes. Okay, um, but they're really butted out. Yeah, um, this year there, you know, there's the old garden glove thumb and forefinger method, which is certainly the most effective. I think you'll find the most effective and yet safe spray you can use on them to be a product out there called Spinosad soap. Um, okay. They don't like the soap, and the Spinosad is as good a beetle killer as we have ever found. I mean, there's so many, literally, I think there are 500,000 different kinds of beetles at last count. But uh, I find the spinosad to be the most effective thing to use against them, and I like the spinosad soap combination. You can buy it in a little ready-to-use sprayer that you just turn a little thing on top and, and start spraying. It's also available as of about the past month. You can buy it as a concentrated mixture own, but with uh, three roses only, I'm not going to go to the trouble of mixing it myself. I'm just going to buy that little ready-to-spray hand sprayer and get after them. Okay, do you know if uh, what or who may handle that here in the Canyon Lake, New Braunfels area? I would try the plant house. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure uh, Weston has it over there. It's certainly available to them. They can certainly get it for you. It's available from all of our major distributors. It's, uh, I think the brand name it's under is Natural Guard or something like that, which is a, a part of the Fer- Fertilome Network. So uh, he can get it for you, and he ought to have it on a sh- on his shelf, and you can tell him I said so if he doesn't. Okay. But I'll bet he does. I'll bet he has it over there. Okay, great. Well, that was my question, sir. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Good to hear from you, Sherry. Thank you. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay, Alan's turn next. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I've got an asp- asparagus question. Okay. Uh, this is my third year, and I started cutting it now. My question is, I've been c- cutting it every day. Yep. But uh, when should I how long has your asparagus bed been established three years okay and how long have you been uh cutting the asparagus how many weeks uh, i guess maybe a good month okay maybe. i'll give you another two weeks i'll give you another two weeks to harvest and then let it come out and start making foliage okay uh does it matter if they're like i'm getting some that's real fat is that, I mean, should I, I go ahead and cut them. I've yeah. been cutting them. 
I it's good. They are just as good, and there's certainly a little bit more bulk to them. The thing about asparagus is when you're harvesting it, you need to harvest every single little sprout that comes up. Otherwise, it will stop making many new sprouts. But um, different plants, and actually the male plants and female plants are separate plants, and uh, and sometimes there is a bit of a difference. Uh, in you know in the size of the shoots they produce but if you if you close your eyes when you crunch down you won't be able to tell the difference right so like i there's a couple of them though that did burn uh-huh so um i'm leaving those yeah if you feel like a plant is weakened it's just the better established a plant is because you're taking off the part that would normally become foliage the more uh established the stronger the plant is the longer you can harvest all those shoots without setting the plant back but if you feel uh, that a plant has been compromised or weakened in any way then yeah you should probably harvest uh, for a shorter period of time before you let it go ahead and make its uh make its summertime foliage Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that'll that'll do it. Then you get out and have a great Easter. Appreciate the call, Alan. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right. Straight back to gardening and back to the phone line. And Anna's first. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Happy Easter. And to you and yours as well. Oh, yes. I have my little puppy over here. She's racing, uh, racing and playing with her plastic eggs and her little Easter bunny. She tore it up already. So, <laughs> anyway, she's a mess. But she's enjoying it, you know. I don't That's... have my little grandchildren here. They're all, all scattered all over the country. Well, so you have your grand dog with you now. Oh, I have this little Shih Tzu. And let me tell you what. You get a Shih Tzu, you have a problem. They love you, <laughs> and they drive you nuts. <laughs> But in a good way. Oh, yes. They they don't let you sit still because you have to keep an eye on them. Like a naughty three-year-old child. You know how they are. Only they never outgrow it. No, they don't. That two-year-old might actually turn into a decent person, but she sues. They're always going to challenge you. Oh, God. I mean, I have had sweet suits before, but never like this holy terror. <laughs> I mean, she can she can jump up, and she can jump up to the table. And there's been times to where I have come in the kitchen and she's sitting here like a centerpiece on top of my dining room table. Well, sounds like she keeps you entertained. How can I help oh, you yeah. today? Anyway, the thing, the reason I called is that uh, I, I have a friend that had cows and, and horses. Uh-huh. And I asked him, I said, hey, save me some of that manure so I can put it on my, my front lawn. My front lawn uh, has been neglected and uh, I, I, I have put uh, uh, wildflowers, and until the code compliance keeps bugging me and threatening to take me to court. So this year I didn't do it, you know, I I didn't have, uh, now I have weeds. Um, And so I asked him to save me some of that manure. Well, he brought me some horse manure. Now, how, what do I do with it? It, 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 uh, It's dry. So do I just spread it, or is it any good, or what? You treat it just as you would cow manure. It's just it's likely to have a few weed seeds in it because, as I was saying earlier, the uh, seeds actually go through the horse much faster than they would through a cow. But, you know, if you've got a good stand of grass over there and wildflowers, the weeds probably are not going to be a significant issue. I would always choose cow manure just to avoid the weed issue, but you have it, you know, you might as well use it. Now, I would ask about 
you know, what hay the horses have been eating. Has it been sprayed with any weed killers? Because unfortunately, all of these uh, manures from animals that eat hay can have that very bad herbicide called picloram in them. So before I put it out, uh, I would ask if his hay has had herbicide sprayed on it, and if it has, I wouldn't use it. I I guess you could put it on some grassy areas only because picloram doesn't hurt grass, but it would hurt tree roots. You just have to be very careful where you put it. But if it is uh, if it is good clean hay that has not been sprayed. I just kind of spread that manure around. Um, it's not going to be a real strong fertilizer, but it is going to add some organic material and overall be pretty good. Okay. Uh, my next question is, you know, I have a uh, lemon tree that it was doing so beautifully. It was full of blossoms and so forth, and then we had the cold spell. Right. And it has a number of uh, leafless uh no, the leaves froze or whatever, right, and they right. fell off. And I have a lot of dead little branches scattered all over the tree. And the tree, uh, you know, the lemon tree normally has these dark green leaves, mm-hmm. and this year that tree does not. Well, be patient with it. Fertilize it. Give it a little time to grow out. Whether or not you give it a little haircut is up to you, but I very definitely be using uh, some good liquid fertilizer on it. And don't be too impatient with it. This is an unusually cool spring, and you're not going to get those beautiful dark green leaves until we get into really warm weather, which is what the lemon tree likes. It's just bouncing back. Sounds to me like it's doing what most every other lemon tree in town is doing. Oh, really? I thought it was just mine. Not, Not just you at all. Ugly at me and, you know, mad at me or something. Uh, because <laughs> oh, it was loaded with blossoms, and I thought, how can it possibly carry this many lemon tree and lemons in well, it? Well, Mother Nature has a way of taking care of that. I agree with you. I thank you, and you have a lovely day. You Don't do the same, Anna. Bunnies. And uh, you go give your shishu a good run around the living room. Oh, gosh, I'm tired already. <laughs> uh, you, oh, by the way, um, that uh, Medina has to grow. Yes. Uh, how much of it do I put in one of those little, you know, I, I'm not um, mechanically inclined, but I have one of those uh, sprayers that you put in the stuff and then you add the water? Yeah. Um, you would, uh, you would mix it about half and half with water, and then uh-huh. you'd set the little dial on top to two tablespoons per gallon. I, I mix it half and half. Yes. And then put it in the jar. Oh, my God. Okay. I was going to put the whole dad burn thing in there. Well, you hey. can do that, but it'll come out better if you mix it half and half with water and then put it in and set it for a tablespoon per gallon. Oh, by the way, you know, I had asked before if you knew where the Tatuma um, um, squash seed. Right. And no one, no one in town had it until I found a place way over there on the south side. And they sell it by the pound. You, uh, you did, you did your research well. And I have a great Easter. Let me get John in here before the news break. Good morning, John. Good morning. Um, I was hoping that you can help me here. I, I have a bonsai that's about five or six years old, and uh, it, it started turning green and yellow. Um, I've done some research that says to change the dirt. I've changed the dirt what, on it. What kind of plant? What kind of plant, John? Uh, it's a juniper. Juniper okay. bonsai. Do you have it inside or outside? Outside. Okay. Um, Junipers are the most common bonsai, and they are, in my opinion, for South Texas, the worst possible 
choice for a bonsai because junipers okay. are susceptible to so many problems here. Um, I suspect your your problem is either spider mites or there is a disease they get, which is called Diplodia twig dieback. I would not um, I would not change the dirt. That will shock a juniper to where most times they just fold up their needles and die on you. I would begin by um, getting some good liquid seaweed, uh, Medina, or there's several different ones, Alaska. There, there are two or three good brands out there. Mix it about two tablespoons per gallon or two teaspoons per quart and spray the foliage on that tree um, you know, continue to care for it as you have with good water and, of course, uh, just a little organic fertilizer every now and then. But I would have that tree out where it's getting lots of sun. Watch your watering. Water very thoroughly when you water, but then let the soil get dry on the surface. Uh, I do that foliar spray, and I think it will probably come out for you, but I would do minimal, really invasive things like trying to repot it or trim roots at this point. Well, I've already repotted it, so okay. <laughs> so I, that's what I was a little worried well, about. Well, use a little Super Thrive, use a little Garrett juice to uh, help stimulate those roots. And until it gets really well established, take a little mist bottle and just spray it with uh, a mist of water on a daily basis. But that seaweed's really going to help green it 